From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, CEO Sam Bateman-Fried is asking for regulations, but people in the space are pushing back and having theories on why he's doing it. Coming up on the Decrypt Daily. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Thursday, October 20th, 2022. So we have some interesting news this morning. I'm going to start this podcast off with just going over that news because it all kind of like goes together. And so I have a tweet. Uh, We have SBF talking about regulatory oversight, and we have the CFTC's regulation being published on GitHub. And so all of those things kind of flow together, and I'm going to try to cover them all right now. But first, let's read this tweet question I had from listener XY. And there's a couple of different clauses here in this tweet question. So we're going to take them one by one and then go over SBF and see what he says and then move on to that. And then we'll get into crypto prices and push all the other headlines to the back as we usually do. So the question is, hey, at the Decrypt Daily, love your show. Answer, thank you. That was a statement, not a question, but thank you. Regular UK listener here. I heard censorship is possible on proof of stake with huge stakeholders being susceptible to government or public pressures. Would love to know how this works. Do stake pools and can stake pools refuse to write transactions from banned addresses on the block? Anyway, so let's talk about the first question here. I heard censorship is possible in proof of stake and huge stakeholders are susceptible to government or public pressure. If you never heard Andreas Antonopoulos speak, I suggest you looking up his YouTube channel and watching all his videos. Or at the very least, the ones that pertain to that question or some things that you're interested in. He kind of goes through this and he kind of talks about this for... I think ever, just ever since he's been, you know, trying to educate on Bitcoin and blockchain. If you like reading, make sure you check out his books. There he tells you about basically how Bitcoin works, uh, how Ethereum works. I've read both of them. Uh, great reads, great books. But Andreas, in my opinion, is pretty much the authority of education. In the way that he presents these different either philosophies, ideas, ideologies, the tech, and so on and so forth, is very easy to digest and understand Well, as well as they can be. Uh, by the complexity of these topics and the tech. So one thing he always does say is it's about points of failure and when it comes to decentralized and Bitcoin and and what have you. And so when we're talking about government pressure, let's just look at how Bitcoin is, um, has developed or is existing as it is. It was created by Satoshi Nakamoto. Who is Satoshi Nakamoto? Nobody knows. So there's no head of a company. There's no uh, king or ruler or CEO or, or delegator of this decentralized network. Also, even though there are mining pools, there is no centralized place where this decentralized system rests, right? So a government really can't pressure anybody to change Bitcoin or roll back or, you know, the, the blockchain is immutable at this point because of how it's decentralized. If you went to the biggest mining pools or the biggest mining uh, companies and told them to do something, they really couldn't do anything. They either, you know, mine Bitcoin or they don't. And the only way to change the Bitcoin blockchain is to get 51% of the hash rate. And to be perfectly honest with you, that would be pretty damn difficult to coordinate. It's far too expensive to even buy that much hash rate for any government. 
And even if you did buy all the miners to you know try to get that hash rate, doesn't mean that the hash rate wouldn't just uh, click up and you would be a minority again. So it, there's no way to really change or control Bitcoin. Now, Andreas would speak about Ethereum and how there was a way to control Ethereum. There was a problem with the DAO back in the day, 2016, which locked up a lot of people's funds. And they were like, okay, do we fork and start over with this? And everybody was like, no, the blockchain is supposed to be immutable. Well, they proved that with organization from the top down, for the most part, they were able to fork Ethereum into Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, essentially unlocking those funds and showing to everybody that with the right amount of pressure, you can change this blockchain. Okay, so let's go into your question of with public pressure or government pressure. At this point, could somebody or government or whatever pressure Ethereum to fork? Maybe. I don't think it would happen, but it's possible. Could the government or public pressure force like these huge stakeholders like Coinbase or Binance, where people are using custodial services or centralized services to stake their Ethereum and they become massive validators, controlling huge percentages of the validation? Yes, they could pressure them, especially if they're public companies or they're companies within a certain country, like the United States. Coinbase, for example, huge validator, holding a lot of Ethereum and staking a lot of Ethereum as now Ethereum is now a proof of stake. The government could come in and say, hey, we're going to pressure you to do X. And they can do that. Brian Armstrong has said publicly that says, hey, I'm not going to do anything to hurt Ethereum. If this becomes a problem, we just won't be a validator node. He controls 19%. Actually, I think it's 17% of the total shares in Coinbase. I don't know how much power he has if the board of directors says, hey, because it is a public company, uh, hey, Brian, nah, we're going to do it how the government wants. So long story short is they do control a big portion of validation on the proof of stake network on Ethereum, but they do not have 51% of the power, which means that even if they choose to do something or not do something, the other validators can still run the network. So Coinbase, unless they collude with Binance and other places, Kraken, that are having uh, stakes of Ethereum on there, they cannot change the blockchain or do anything with the transactions. The transactions will go on as always, as normal, and there's nothing that they can do about it unless they collude together, which then, yes, they have 51% of the power and they could change the blockchain. With that said, can pools refuse to write transactions from band addresses to the block? Yes and no. So the no aspect is it is that it is a decentralized network, meaning that if you're going to broadcast something to the Ethereum network, it's going to get in there because that's what there's all kinds of validators around the world. With that said, Coinbase being a U.S. company could have a blacklist or blacklist certain addresses and decide because of their position within these pools, within this, I guess, decentralized system, within the United States and regulation, they could say, yeah, we're not going to process these blacklisted addresses. So we're, we're not involved with this, but it doesn't mean that they're not involved with the Ethereum network. You know what I'm saying? So if you're an American citizen, you're hosted by Coinbase, you do your transactions with Coinbase, you're you know trying to move your coins through Coinbase, they could say, Nothing from that address. We're not going to process things from this address, you know, when that's sort of trading or on-ramp and off-ramps. When it comes to validating, that's a good question because I'm not too sure if they have the ability just to say, we're not validating certain addresses in a proof-of-stake system like that. But if they could, they could probably be pressured too. With that said, Sam Bingham-Free came out today with a Twitter 
thread about regulation. He said, at a high level, we need regulatory oversight and customer protection. We need to ensure an open, free economy where peer-to-peer transfers, code validators, etc. are free. We should establish regulation and until then, standards to ensure A and B, the things that I just said. He said in the next tweet, first, it means that we have to have a blacklist and not allow lists for illicit financial activity. We need fast, reliable lists of addresses associated with illicit finance. But peer-to-peer transfers should generally be free as long as they're not going to sanctioned actors. This can simultaneously enforce sanctions compliance effectively while also making sure that you don't need a passport or social security number to buy a bagel from 7-Eleven. So basically, Sam Bankman-Fried is calling on the same thing that we just spoke about, blacklists and not allow lists for illicit financial activity. Now, like I said earlier, Sam Bankman-Fried is getting pushback. And people are saying that Sam Bankman-Fried is quietly lobbying the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, the DCCPA, which is going to be a bill that's passed to give the CFTC power to kill DeFi, but benefits FTX. You see what's happening here? DeFi, decentralized finance, working outside of the law, centralized exchanges, centralized power, and SBF seemingly is lobbying for that centralization to be codified into law. And what law is this? Well, the copy of the still-in-progress Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, which outlines how the CFTC would regulate crypto industries, was uploaded to GitHub today by Gabe Shapiro. Shapiro said he made the draft available to the public because he believes in transparency and open discussion of the future of crypto law. The draft appears to show a softening of the language that drew criticism because it could have created a de facto ban on DeFi. He said, in quote, notably, this version contains a limited expression of the term digital commodity trading facility, which would exclude persons who solely develop or publish software. This can be a boon to DeFi slash crypto. So there's a lot of things that are going on here behind the scenes. There's laws, there's regulations, there's decentralization of validators to Coinbase, FTX, Binance, and so on and so forth, where you live, who you are, your nationality, your citizenship, all come into play. And then the governments of how they want to kind of regulate that and move the law to ban and have not allow lists for certain addresses and certain actors. There's a lot going on here, a lot of things that are moving. And so to answer your question, XY, very shortly is, yes, it's all possible, but kind of not. But depends where you live and depends on your government and it depends on their regulations, and it depends on the centralized exchanges, and it depends on the blockchain, and it depends on, there's a lot of things, factors going on there. I hope that gave you more questions than answers because I hope you follow down the rabbit hole, the slippery slope, and start reading and researching a lot. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms, email me, matthewarenetdecrypt.co. Now, 10 minutes plus in, let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at, what time is it? 11.07 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. I really lollygagged this morning, didn't I? Bitcoin is sitting at $19,314. It's up 0.7% in 24, almost 5% in 7. Ethereum's up almost 7% in 7. It's up 0.6% on the day at $1,306. Tether's number 3, USDC's number 4, and Binance is number 5 at 272. Seems like it's our new stablecoin. Rounding off the top 10, we have XRP, BUSD, Cardano, Solana, and Doge. Total market cap is up 0.3% at $926.5 billion. A BTC dominance of 39.9 and an F dominance of 17.2. 
Moving into our headlines, and I got to speed this up today because I think we're going to go over our time limit. And I, my time limit is for both of us, for me, for you, for everyone. So let's get into this. Tesla, they released a report to public on Wednesday saying that the company still has $218 million in Bitcoin. Remember in July, Tesla announced that it sold 75% of its Bitcoin hodlings, or around $936 million at the time. It still has 218. This is one of those moonshots, said Anatoly Yakovenko, describing Saga as an experiment that's cheap enough to try. What is Saga? Well, it's the new cell phone from Solana. Saga is powered by a Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 processor. It has a 6.67 OLED display, 12 gigs of RAM, 512 gigs of internal storage, and it will sell for $1,000 in Q1 next year. Now, when he's saying it's cheap enough to try, I'm assuming the company to build this and develop it and, and sell it because a thousand bucks for a phone is not cheap by any means. Basically, Anatoly Yakovenko is trying to do something new. He has something called a Solana mobile stack that isn't exclusive to the Saga phone, but if you have an Android phone, you can start using it too to develop your own software. Basically, what he's trying to do is break the monopoly, break the rental system. He says that everything that we have now is rented. If you get a movie on Amazon, you even if you buy it, it's kind of rented. Your apps are rented. Nothing is yours. You have no privacy, no control of your data. Well, can Solana fix this? We will see. He's not thinking that they're going to sell a lot of these things, maybe 25,000 to 50,000 units sold next year. Uh, so who gets their hands on them? How it develops is very much a mystery. I guess it's up to the decentralized people of the world that want something better or different. FTX has a plan, a recovery plan to reimburse 72% of Voyager users' funds. The deal, however, can't be completed until U.S. bankruptcy judge Michael Willis approves Voyager's bankruptcy payout plan, which reportedly may be considered in December. Before approving the arrangement, Voyager should include the so-called fiduciary out, a standard bankruptcy clause that allows a company under court protection to consider higher bids before the sale is declared final. Voyager's bankruptcy attorney reportedly said that FTX.us is providing the only viable alternative for the company to recover users' funds. This is an interesting story, not because of what they're doing, but because of the questions that come from this. I'll tell you in a minute. Warner Brothers is releasing NFTs for its iconic 2001 film, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, at web3.wb.com. These NFTs function as an all-in-one digital experience and each include a 4K copy of the film, hours of bonus behind-the-scenes footage, lots of behind-the-scenes stills, and exclusive AR collectible assets inspired by the film. The core digital assets themselves, not just the token, are on the blockchain. What blockchain, you might ask? It's an Ethereum-compatible content fabric blockchain. Now, this is kind of cool. I don't know who's going to do this and buy this. I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm close. I'm not even going to be close to buying any of this. But it does raise questions about the classifications of NFTs now with the IRS. We just talked about the IRS yesterday saying that NFTs are not collectibles, but they're going to be treated as stocks, right? So as you know, collectibles are taxed at 28%, while stocks are a progressive sliding scale from 0 to 20%. <laughs> now, just what they're doing with this, it seems like a collectible to me. Now, I, I, obviously, I don't want more taxes for NFTs, but it's just interesting. Do you think number is going to go up when you buy this? No. So you're using it because it's collectible and it seems cool from WB and Lord of the Rings and you read all the books and stuff like that. So you're collecting this, right? But will number go up? 
are you expecting number go to go up? And if you sell it, is it? It's just interesting how a media or a movie company is selling collectible merchandise to the public who obviously want this collectible merchandise because they're very much fans of the Lord of the Rings series and shows and books and whatever. Um, but we're not classifying it as a collectible, but as a digital asset or a stock. And that's how it's taxed. Anyway, I just I just find it interesting by the intent and then the classification. Not saying I want more taxes, just saying that I just find it interesting. Do you find it interesting? Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. And finally, in some headline quickies, Coinbase joins Grayscale in claiming that the SEC is failing to give spot market Bitcoin ETFs fair consideration. Reddit users created 3 million crypto wallets to scoop up Polygon NFTs. And former Celsius executive joins JP Morgan as new crypto policy head, which is effing crazy. How are you hiring anybody, an executive from Celsius, as a policy head? This is clown world shit right here. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, leave us a comment, and Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify, hit them five stars. As always, you can email me, MatthewAaron at Decrypt.co. And until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone.